Support for this podcast and the following message come from Hulu, presenting the original documentary series, Hillary, a portrait of Hillary Rodham Clinton, featuring exclusive interviews and footage from the 2016 presidential campaign. Hillary is now streaming only on Hulu. Stephen, do you know what I like best about sitting down every week to do the show? Tell me, Linda. Well, in addition to knowing I'll get to see you and Glenn and our producers, I get to see so many fantastic people who come and do the show with us. People inside NPR, uh, your Audie Cornish, your Sam Sanders, your Barry Hardiman, your uh, Marissa LaRusso, but also lots of people outside NPR, Brittany Luce and Eric Eddings from The Nod, Tobin Lowe and Kathy Tu from Nancy, Aisha Harris from The New York Times. And we added a bunch of new people this year. We did. Uh, and it takes time to reach out to those people, find places for them to record if they're not here in D.C. takes time to keep track of what they're interested in, what they might want to talk about. Uh, And that's one of the many things that uh, we ask our producers to do for (laughs) us. And it's one of the many things that you can support by going to donate.npr.org slash happy and supporting your local station. That also pays for our producers to cut the show and post the show and keep our increasingly complicated calendar up to date. It's a ton of logistics. And donating pays for all of our production, which is a good amount of work even when we're just goofing around. Yeah, maybe especially when we're just goofing around. Uh, So head over to donate.npr.org slash happy and help us keep inviting new voices to share this show with us and so we can share them with you. What has ears, tails, Andrew Lloyd Webber music, and the Idris Elba-Taylor Swift duet you've been waiting for all your life? That's right, it's Cats, the new film adaptation of the musical that became a surprise smash in the 1980s. The movie was directed by Tom Hooper, who also made the Les Miserables adaptation that won Anne Hathaway an Oscar. Cats wrestles with how to present a variety of cat characters, dance numbers, and even a drug-induced catnap. I'm Stephen Thompson. And I'm Linda Holmes. We're talking about cats today on Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR, so don't go away like you would. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Zeus Living. For trips a month long or more, stay with Zeus Living for beautiful, thoughtfully furnished homes. Zeus Homes feature kitchens equipped with the essentials, award-winning mattresses, and comfortable couches to relax on. Whether you're opening a new office, on a temporary assignment, relocating for a new job, or renovating, Zeus Living makes it easy to live where opportunity takes you. Find Zeus at ZeusLiving.com NPR. Welcome back. You just met NPR Music's Stephen Thompson. Also with us is Glenn Weldon of the NPR Arts Desk. Hi, Glenn. Hello, Linda. (laughs) (laughs) And in our fourth chair today, our Cats correspondent, who has been eager to do Cats with us for months, Mallory Yu, movies editor for All Things Considered. Hello, Mallory. Hello. I'm so excited to talk about Cats. Cats. All right. I think if you're listening to this, you know that the the person most likely to embrace Cats, Uh, the musical... The animated, semi-animated, the tails are animated, tails or are animated. It's, it appears, uh, is Glenn. So mm. I'm going to go to Glenn first. Uh, if you're not familiar with Cats, uh, it is Andrew Lloyd Webber setting to music a set of poems by T.S. Eliot, pretty closely keeping the poems as they are in the lyrics and then doing his own music and creating a story. Uh, <laughs> Glenn, what did you think about Cats? Look, I'm glad this film exists because now that it's out there in the world, for as long as this world spins, there will be generation after generation of theater kids who will have something to watch as they give each other chain back rubs <laughs> and take 
and time their drugs as they watch it. We should issue a warning here at the outset. Uh, not a warning, an alert to parents that if you take your children and they are of an impressionable age, they will become furries. That is not a judgment. <laughs> that is a medical fact. This is a very fuzzy and very horny, a strangely horny it movie. It is strangely horny. It is. And the furries of my acquaintance have, have pointed to the Disney Robin, Robin Hood and Fox yeah. uh, with enough frequency. For, and if that was like a spark, this thing is going to change the culture in generation after generations going forward. I knew very little about Cats going in. I had never seen it. I knew its popularity. That's what I knew about it. Yeah. And I also knew memory because that song was inescapable when it when it came out. And there were several different number one hits versions of it. And while that song has certain lyrical turns that are interesting, I thought the melody was kind of a snooze. So I went into it thinking this thing is going to be... Forgive me, a little basic, a little bougie, a little straight down the middle, uh, because it is so hugely popular. What I was not expecting <laughs> was Lovecraftian existential horror. Uh, this thing is terrifying. Um, I can't, I can't, I can't. It's such pure nonsense. I mean, literally, it's doggerel. And so people are saying things, and I don't know what's happening. And I, I use the term Lovecraftian advisedly because Lovecraftian <laughs> means you look at something and your brain can't process it, so you're reduced to gibbering. I was gibbering in that theater because I didn't understand what was happening, and I got it. All of a sudden, it clicked in. You know what's happening is that I am now a normal going to a Star Wars film where people are like, and we must find the clue on the Sith Wayfinder to get to Exegos. Everybody's in outfits I don't understand. I can't follow the plot. And this is, so this is like karma. This is me. <laughs> I've been... I've been advocating Star Wars films and superhero films for so long that now this is my divine uh, justice. Uh -huh. I don't understand this movie. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we're going to go from Glenn, who is a not-cats person, uh -huh. to Mallory, who is a cats person. Tell us about your history with cats, Mallory. So... I associate cats most strongly with like childhood road trips. Um, it was probably one of the first musicals that my dad watched when he moved to the U.S. from Taiwan. And I guess he just sort of imprinted on it or maybe mm -hmm. I imprinted on it as a kid. And I just have really vivid memories of being in the back seat of, you know, his car with no air conditioning, begging him to turn cats on. Oof. <laughs> but I will say, but this particular CD that we had did not include songs like Buster for Jones, which I find very unsettling and don't like because fat jokes are not my thing. Yes, that is about the fat cat played here by James Corden. But I do love some of the music in this. Childhood nostalgia is strong. What can I say? And I am so torn about this movie. I spent 40% of it, at least 40%, my girlfriend says, covering my face in agony <laughs> because I couldn't handle it. I mean, I can handle human faces on cat bodies, but those hands and those feet. And then I kept thinking, why are some of them wearing shoes right. and not all of them? Why... Is this cat unzipping her, her cat skin? skin? <laughs> yeah. Question mark. Our One of the cats unzips her skin to reveal a costume underneath, and it is quite unsettling. It's, when yep. Glenn talks about Lovecraftian horror, it's yep. stuff like that. It's definitely stuff like that. And also, you know, some of the cats are wearing furs, and I can't help but think, what is the sort of ethical... <laughs> moral quandary of a cat wearing a fur. And, you know, maybe that's why none of the other cats like you because you're wearing a fur. Yeah. Could be. 
could be. Anyway, I was basically incoherent throughout the whole movie, like Glenn, and I know this musical. Yeah. Um, there were bits of it that, you know, as someone who knows the music, I was like, I don't like this arrangement. <laughs> but, you know, I'm glad it exists. What can I say? It was a delightful mess, and I enjoyed it. Uh-huh. It's sort of left. It's Four stars! <laughs> okay, I won't go that far. Maybe, like... <laughs> Four question marks from Mallory Yu. Yes. Um, yeah, I, I think it sort of reduced us all to the same, I don't know what to say, <laughs> sort of um, quality, which for some people is going to be what they want from this. There are going to be people who are like, I just want it to be really weird. It, it's really weird. Um, Steven, uh, <laughs> I'm eager to hear your thoughts about Cats, which I actually have not heard yet. Yeah. So I'm curious to hear for, what you think. For some reason, the movie ended and I just bolted out of the theater. <laughs> I wonder why. Uh, if you locked me in a room for the rest of my life with only <laughs> two movies, Cats and The Human Centipede... <laughs> <laughs> I would be fascinated to see, like, <laughs> after a year, how many times I would have watched each. Uh-huh. This movie was so gnarly and <laughs> weird and gross. There, there was an interview leading up to the release of this film where Jason Derulo, the, the pop singer who is, who is in the film. As Rum Tum Tugger. As Rum Tum Tugger. <laughs> complains, complains. The horniest cat. The horniest cat. Oh. That complains that they CGI'd out his bulge. <laughs> and I thought, Jason Derulo, you just hit on it. You hit on the one way this could have been gnarlier and creepier. <laughs> This movie is weirdly incomprehensible for a film Uh that starts out with basically 75 minutes of cats introducing themselves. (laughs) I'm Fiffle Faffle, the cat (laughs) with purple slacks. Uh. (laughs) Followed by sort of this showstopper and this resolution that makes no sense. I will say the performance performances largely were at least committed. Mm-hmm. I think when this when, when this movie sort of sweeps the Razzie Awards, a bunch of the actors are going to get dinged kind of unfairly. I hope they ding Rebel Wilson and James Corden, who are insufferable in this movie. Yeah. But everybody else is at least kind of doing their best and kind of gamely yeah. pantsing around. I hated this movie. (laughs) So let me attempt an actual critique of this Please, please, please do. I think some of the music is lovely enough that it carries some of the scenes. I think that Jennifer Hudson, who plays Grizabella, who is the famous singer of memory, if you're afraid that because it's Jennifer Hudson, it's going to be overly melodramatic and and flourished upon it's it's not for the most part she i think for whatever combination of of reasons involving her choices and tom hooper's choices and whoever else's choices she does respect the sort of simple loveliness of that melody And in fact, there were a couple times, particularly there's an early moment in which she sort of introduces that song but doesn't do the full thing. And in those moments, I was thinking, hey, you know, 
she is doing the thing where a song that you've heard a lot of times, you feel a fresh ability to hear it the way that you do when somebody does a really good, like, send in the clowns. Sure. And you think, she, she's like, crying through it. Yeah, sure, but that's partly she's the song. She's performing it. I think she, I think she, I think she does fine. Right. Um, I also think part of, you know, one of the things I said to somebody about this film is I think they put the actors in a very difficult position at the moment that they settled on the look yes. of this mm-hmm. film. Absolutely. Um, rather than doing it in, you know, you can sort of understand why they would decide we're not going to do the whole thing in a single junk-filled alley like the theater show was. And I should say, I saw cats uh in a theater when i was very young when it was sort of first nationally touring i think so rather than setting it there they move it around a little more they have a lot of it happen in a theater in an emptied out theater rather than in a junkyard which Mm -hmm. i think changes the aesthetic fairly significantly this decision that they've made about they're going to kind of just be people in cat costumes which is of course what the what the show was but they're also going to be kind of enhanced in certain ways. They're going to have leaping abilities that require yep. them to be animated, yeah. mm-hmm. which don't really look like either a human or a cat, which no. is what's weird. They look like an animated person in a cat costume, which is really, to me, not successful. Um, and then to do the ears and the tails in this sort of otherworldly way that feels enhanced. Now you're kind of losing the point of the success of the theatrical piece, I think, was in people in a cat costume suggesting a cat. It wasn't too literal. You didn't constantly see them lapping things out of bowls and stuff like that. Um, (laughs) uh, There's one lapping stuff out of a bowl. That's what Steven's reacting to. Um, But I do think there are some successful moments in this. I think there's an Ian McKellen uh, sequence Mm. that I actually thought was very charming. I don't know that it's him at the peak of his powers or whatever, <laughs> but I did I did enjoy it. I, I enjoyed that very much. I sympathize with the fact that these filmmakers are trying to put more story around this, so they've added some plot elements. This, so this because, movie has more story. Yeah, yes. because, and this, you know, we've really kind of alluded to this, but it is true that the stage show is essentially a bunch of cats introducing themselves, which is one of the things that Stephen was asking us earlier. Is that all it is on the stage? And for the most part, yes, that's mm-hmm. what it is. It's a Because it's based on this book of T.S. Eliot poems, which are just, let me describe this cat, it's a bunch of cats. That's what the show is. That and is they have is. felt obligated, I think, to put more story around it. Mallory, what did you think of the story that they put around it, which involves some more intrigue? And I kept sitting there being like, did I forget this plot? But no, I didn't. It just wasn't there in the musical. Yeah. I mean, I thought it was fine. I didn't need it necessarily. Right. And I don't think I needed a lot of the big set pieces. For me, the thing that really unsettled me and made my brain unable to kind of process what was happening on the screen was the scale and the sort of wild inconsistency of scale. I from felt like it was inconsistent. Like cat to furniture to... <laughs> mice to cockroaches and let me just say that those mice and cockroaches are deeply deeply upsetting i found them to be really creepy and there was a real bad trip quality oh yeah the cockroach yes (laughs) um (laughs) that happens in the first you know 10 minutes of the film i would say so if you don't like cockroaches or mice maybe close your eyes um But the scale is just so inconsistent. My brain was constantly trying to reconcile how big these cats were to their surroundings. Mm -hmm. And that didn't let me sink into 
the world of this movie the way that I think Tom Hooper really wanted us to do. You don't get to like enjoy the trip because you're constantly thinking there's something wrong and unsettling and ominous, weirdly. And on stage, because they're in a set place with physical props, by definition, the scale is set and Mm -hmm. you remain at whatever that scale may be. Whether it's accurate or not, it's at least consistent. Mm -hmm. And so you get the sizes at least remain fixed. I do think taking it out of that alley creates a problem a little bit like the Cars universe, where you're constantly sitting there thinking, who runs the Cars gas station? <laughs> yeah. you know, so you're constantly like taking them out, and you're, you're trying to then unpack the logic of how cats are doing these things in ways that you wouldn't in a, the Like, I see them visiting a bar. Who owns the bar? Right, right, right. <laughs> the scale, I think, impacts something like the choreography, which is, as you mentioned, Linda, it's both pure athleticism and wire work. You're making a contract with your audience. We're going to do one or the other. And this sort of mishmash is is something that kind of makes the whole visual thing feel off. Now, I think I would have bought the visuals and the creepy cockroaches and everything if I reacted more directly to the music. I just don't. I think this is reductive, but I think there's a spectrum, right? And on one end is Andrew Lloyd Webber. On the other end is Stephen Sondheim. Mm -hmm. People position themselves at different points along it. People can like both. I am definitely... A Sondheim guy. Right. Mm-hmm. So there's just something synthy and fuzzy about this. Every time I would think, okay, I'm just going to lock in, just going to lock in. We'd cut to a new song and it'd be like, and I'm Skimbleshanks the Railway Cat. And I'd be like, mm-hmm, out. <laughs> I would clap my hands like I was a dealer in Vegas and step away from the table emotionally. Because yeah. look, Andrew Lloyd Webber can be good when he, when he matches himself to something like the greatest story ever told, to something like Jesus Christ Superstar. That is mm-hmm. a great story. This is nonsense doggerel that doesn't mean anything, and it frustrated and, me every time. Yeah. And you, and you, I think it's fair to note, Skimbleshanks comes uh. from Elliot, not from <laughs> Weber. That's know. not an Andrew Lloyd Weber thing. Skimbleshanks and Mungo Jerry and Rumble Teaser and uh, all these. Stop saying these names. <laughs> I'm just going to keep going. <laughs> the, these things all come from Elliot. The, yes, the yes, lyrics yes. are very directly taken from the poems. This is not one of those things where, you know, inspired by the poems. They are settings of the poems for the most Ooh. part. And I think it's fair to acknowledge that you got your cats people and you got your not so much cats people. <laughs> and I think that I am also just a not-so-much-cats person. My memory of seeing this memory, my memory of seeing this as a child is that even as a kid, I walked out and I was kind of like, I don't get it. (laughs) Because it was this big thing. And we went to see it, and I was like, I don't get it. Last night, I don't get it. I had sort of the same reaction, and I don't want to hold it against the movie that I'm not really a person who loves this music. If you're, you know, sort of you've got the Sondheim scale, I'm also way down on the Sondheim end. The epic Phantom of the Opera kind of big stuff has never landed for me. But I think that what is sometimes interesting about Weber and his stage stuff is that he is trying to do something uh, weird. They're intentionally weird, right? Mm-hmm. These are, it's the same thing as Starlight Express when it's people <laughs> on roller skates playing trains. Uh-huh. This is supposed to be a suggestion of cats, and I think where they went wrong. The funny thing is, Hooper was so well known for In Les Miserables making it so naturalistic and really pointing mm-hmm. out they were singing live, these are kind of uninterrupted, whatever. 
This is sort of the opposite. I think he he went halfway, and halfway is a very difficult place to wind up in something that's this strange to begin with. In a valley that's uncanny. When you go kind of halfway to, you know, halfway to a cartoon, but it's still people in cat suits who sometimes wear shoes and sometimes don't. And sometimes, you know, Mallory brought up shoes. Some of them wear clothes and some of them don't. This is clothing optional cat life, which <laughs> is not something I ever expected to see. I think the halfway part is is maybe where they got in trouble. Any thoughts on Taylor Swift? I was going to say, I mean, I liked that they leaned into the camp and the absurdity with that sequence. Mm-hmm. Um I was not expecting anything from Taylor Swift. I'm not a huge fan of hers necessarily, but I liked I liked the sort of gonzo we're we're going <laughs> yes. for it. Sing it with a British this accent. Song, I could not understand what accent she yeah. was doing. <laughs> I do think she uh, I do think she stands out as not a professional dancer in a group of people who are professional what? dancers. Mm-hmm. I actually think some of the dancing is some of what's more successful mm-hmm. in this. There is some decent dance when they're doing the the normal dancing and not the yes. animated kind of wire work stuff. I did like some of that. But, you know, anybody who can make Idris Elba look unsettling, <laughs> um, which Ooh. he does just because of the presentation of his body and costume and he has clothes and then doesn't have clothes and it's very it's it's just, just weird and bizarre it doesn't and feel right so take the kids merry christmas everybody <laughs> merry christmas, merry christmas. <laughs> look if Creep you if you love these songs you will find perfectly serviceable performances of these songs there's some stuff in here that works perfectly well and is is sweet if you like cats. I've been saying um, cats is the movie that 2019 deserves, and now that I've seen it, I stick by it. I still stick by it. <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> well, let us know what you think about cats. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com/pchh or tweet us at pchh. Uh, you can follow Mallory at Mallory underscore you. Thanks to all of you guys for being here to chat about cats. Thank, thank you. you. And of course, thank you for listening to Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. Look, we are still asking you to donate to support your local station at donate.npr.org slash happy. That will help support this show. It helps make this show possible. It helps make it possible for Jessica and Emmanuel to turn around endless episodes for your enjoyment. We're coming to the end of the year, and we would really, really appreciate your help and support. Again, donate.npr.org slash happy to support your local station. And we will see you all right back here on Friday when we're going to be talking about a little movie we liked a lot called Little Women. NPR's Life Kit wants to help you make changes that actually stick this new year. From how to do dry January to how to start a creative habit, we've got new episodes all month to help you start the year off right. New episodes every Tuesday and Thursday. Listen and subscribe to Life Kit. Support for this podcast and the following message come from the NPR Wine Club, where every bottle tells a story and NPR shows become wines, like Weekend Edition Cabernet Sauvignon. Available to adults 21 years or older. Learn more at nprwineclub.org.